it's going to be an emotional Sunday. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Um, we're going to uh, preach a foundational series um, and teach. You know, this is a different kind of series when we gather on this day. It is a preaching slash lecture. We are reminding our church of why we do the things that we do and how we do them. Um, it's, it's emotional for me to look over a crowd uh, when there used to be a handful. <laughs> um, people have, may ask you, what, what's that church doing differently to reach people? And, and I'll just be honest, we're not doing anything differently today than we did when we started. Uh, we're just trying to preach the word and love people and pray uh, and try to lead well. Um, and... Um, this church is growing because God is good, <laughs> uh, not because of the leaders uh, or anything else, but because God is just, I mean, for whatever reason, God has decided to move here. And uh, so I think it's important that we remind ourselves of the reasons why we replanted this church uh, and why uh, we care about our pillars so much. Uh, and we're going to, usually we have only, last year we only did uh, preach the word and then we did meaningful church membership. This year we're doing four uh, in the foundation series. Um, and this is the one, uh, this one and the one we do next week, prayer, is the one that we are weakest at. Uh, I would say this sermon is mostly for Jeremy and Tessa, uh, they uh, over there, uh, who have a heart for missions, uh, who have been trying to yank my chain. And I'm like, we're working on it. <laughs> and uh it's time for us to quit working on it, and it's time for us to get involved. And uh, I hope uh, that this sermon uh, encourages you, challenges you, uh, and uh, I hope that uh, Jeremy and Tessa get tired of people showing up to their house asking to get involved in missions, <laughs> uh, because uh, that's what we're hoping to have happen. Matthew chapter 28, uh, 16 through 20, uh, I'm going to read it. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I can only imagine they did. What a, what a period of time for the, the one that they had seen crucified to be walking. That had to be very difficult. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the Great Commission? Uh, I have read lots of things. I decided to come up with my own. I know we have several seminary people here and Bible grads here, so you may not like mine, uh, but uh, don't analyze it too much. Uh, I would say this. The, the Great Commission is the making of disciples. That's the emphasis. The making of disciples through the Holy Spirit empowered preaching and teaching of the gospel and God's word to people in need of redemption. And you might say to yourself, well, what is the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. We get to do it early again. The gospel is this, that you were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. Um, and you do it quite well all by yourself. In fact, you could teach a class over it. Uh, and everyone would leave going, that person knows how to sin, because that's how good we are at it. And even in our sin, which separated us from a holy, holy, holy God, even in that sin and while we were sinning, that holy, holy, holy God loved us. That should wash over you. And he loved us so much 
that he sent Christ, God, in the flesh to live a life that we would never be able to live, to fulfill the law, which we would never be able to fulfill, and to take upon himself our sin on the cross, which we richly deserved. And for those who put their faith in Christ and repent and believe, Christ takes our sin and we get his righteousness. I'm waiting. <laughs> I don't, are, are you aware of your sin? And are you aware of God's righteousness? That's an amazing exchange. And then we are brought back into the right fellowship with the Father. We are reconciled to God our Father. We are no longer objects of wrath. But now we are children of the King. <laughs> That's the gospel. That's why it's called good news. By the way, it's not private news. It's good news that needs to be shared. People say, well, how do I become a believer? Don't I have to say a prayer or follow a certain kind of rule book and whatever? Here's what the Bible would say over and over again. Repent and believe. And repentance, as we discussed this morning, means that you recognize that God is better and everything that you are doing is worthless and you would say, I no longer want this, I want God, because God is better. And that's repenting and believing is, I know that you are who you say you are, and you have done what you say you have done, and I will follow you forever, because pleasures are found with you that last forever. And that is repent and believe. And how would you know you became a believer? Because your life would never be the same again. Will you fail and will you struggle? Absolutely. But you will be gripped by a love that you have never had before for something that never goes away. Friends and family and spouses die, but the steadfast love of the Lord lasts forever. That's the gospel. Now, the gospel, the Great Commission, was a promise uttered in the Old Testament in Psalms chapter 22, 27 through 28. It says this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Now, if you think that's a universalist type verse, it's not. I just read that and thought, I wonder if anyone thinks that. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to come to know Christ. What it means is the gospel is for all people, and there will be people from all people who trust Christ. Jesus spoke of this promise to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, he said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If you were a Jew at that moment, that was controversial, because God was for you and you alone, and all the other nations were heathens, and Jesus said, it's going to go everywhere. And then, in our elder reading, in chapter 5 of Revelations, in verse 9, we, say, we see, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then in Acts chapter 1, 6 through 11, we have this. Jesus gives the Great Commission. Some period of time goes by, 40 days or so. We're not exactly sure exactly 
um, when all this was actually said, but this is the ascension here. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus who is taken up into heaven and will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I've always said that for me, I, I don't know that this happened. It's just my theory. I, I just think Peter... Like at that moment, in, in the Great Commission, some still doubted. Jesus was there for 40 days. He taught. He gave evidence. And they're gathered here. I just think that when Jesus goes to heaven, I think that settles the doubt. <laughs> I'm just thinking. And I can just picture Peter turning around going, all right, who's in? <laughs> I mean, it's a big deal. I've never seen that before, but that's what happened. I just see Peter going, who's in? And the believers are then, later in Acts, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they spread the good news everywhere among all nations. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, where he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. In verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, Paul writes this, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The gospel is clearly for all nations. But before preaching can occur, the first move, the first action, is that we go. When we say preach the word as a church, as we did a couple of weeks ago, we assume that we must, that we understand, that we must go and do that. I preach the word, but I go here and to this gathered people and I preach the word. There is a movement that must take place. Now, William Carey in 17, I believe early 1700, late 1700s, uh, wrote an essay that pretty much turned uh, missions upside down, especially for the Baptists, um, and uh, reminding the church stirring the church, uh, the father of missions as they would many call him, that this great commission was not only for the apostles. It was for believers to go and spread the word. And he said, we are called to go. And those who don't go should send. And I guess you would say in recent decades there's been um, some changing of that um, phrase to go. And you may have heard it and and if you are strong in this opinion, that's fine. We can meet um, at lunch to talk about it. Uh, you have to buy. <laughs> but I would be more than happy to talk about you. There's a movement that has turned 
um, this, uh, this argument from William Carey kind of upside down a little bit, uh, even among Baptists. Um, I was reading from one particular uh, professor from Southwestern uh, or Southern Theological Seminary who said it this way, or he graduated from there and is writing several books on missions. Uh, we have had a change in the last few decades where some people are saying that when Jesus says go, if you translate that in Greek, it really means as you're going. And uh, I don't pretend, as he does not, that anyone who thinks that is anti-missions. I'm not saying that at all. So if you land there, that's fine. Uh, but I would argue that you need to revisit that. Uh, because the Greek really doesn't give you the preference to say as you're going. Uh, it, the verb is really to disciple. Um, and go in the Greek means go. And here's what's happened. What's happened uh, is we flipped this whole thing that, that William Carey kind of pushed on us, and that is this, that what, what the gospel is, is to be proclaimed. But here's the deal. You don't have to go. Just proclaim the gospel as you're going. And that sure feels better, doesn't it? But the command to the church is that we go and preach the gospel to who? Do you teach and share the gospel with those around you? Absolutely. But Matthew 28 is about proclaiming the gospel to all nations. And if we're not careful, when we use that phrase, what it just really means as you're going, it relieves pressure off of us, doesn't it? Well, I'm doing my missional job. And I think when you study the Greek, you will see that the word go is to go. Because Christianity is not stagnant. It, is not to, it does not call us to sit in one place. It's not a religion of sitting. Uh, but our calling and our beliefs move us to action and should at least um, move us to share our faith. And every believer, I would argue, in this room is the product of someone's obedience to the Great Commission. You ever thought about that? Everyone in here is a product of someone, of someone believing that the Great Commission was a command. And so the command, I believe, is clear, and the results are clear. When we go and proclaim the Word of God, God uses His Word to draw people to Him and rescue them. But I've been curious how we're doing. So I contacted John. I won't say his last name because sometimes he travels um, internationally. Uh, but you know him as one of the missionaries we support. If you're not sure who I'm talking about, then they should be paying attention to the screen on Sundays. Right, Matt? You should be praying for him, which means if you don't know his last name, you may not have been praying for him. But anyway, uh, and I called him, and he travels, and uh, he is a missionary, not in the sense that we mostly think of, but he is a strategic guy. So what he does is he organizes missions all over the world. Uh, so he flies into places and does work uh, to set up churches and things like that. I called him. I said, how are we doing in ch as churches in the, in, the, uh, in the proclamation of the gospel to the world? And he was like, well, I can send you some numbers. And it was humbling. I mean, it was just humbling. So I decided that I should do something I've never done before. I'm going to share those numbers with you. Called Matt yesterday. I said, hey, Matt, can you put together a PowerPoint? He was like, uh, like for tomorrow? 
I said, well, yeah. And he was like, sure. And so we're ready whenever you're ready. So I'm going to walk over these numbers. In our industry, in my business, I'm a manager of sales for a large company, and we deal with what we call KPIs. Uh, and any of y'all ever heard of KPIs? Oh, yeah, those are wonderful. Uh, key performance indicators, you know, and, that's, and you go in. And so we just did ours for my region. Uh, I have 19 clinics that do about 10 million a year or so, and, and I, I don't own it, by the way. Don't get excited. <laughs> anyway, I just, I just get in trouble for them. But anyway, um, we go, and we, I, I think we do a good job. And then you have this big meeting. We hold it twice a year. We just did it in San Antonio, and they put all your offices up there, and they do all these dissections. And when you get done, you're like, oh, we're not doing that great after all. And it's just a calibration of knowing, hey, we're not doing maybe as well as we are. And so I think for us it's important for us to look at this data. So here we go. You'll see it on the screen, and I'm going to read it on my screen. Aren't the screens cool? Yeah. I'm ready. Is it up? I think. Here we go. Let's just start with this. Global population of the world, 7.56 billion. There you go. Next slide is the top 10 most populous countries. You see China and India, China 1.3 billion, India 1.2 billion, United States 318 million. You kind of see the top. I was surprised. Did anyone think Japan was in the top 10? I would not have thought that. But anyway, moving right along. Next. Worldwide total people groups. There's 16,591 people groups. We are not alone. <laughs> Next. Unreached people's groups. This is where John really um, wanted me to focus on. That means it is a people group that less than 2% are evangelical Christian. Meaning there is unlikely in any way, shape, form, or fashion any kind of gathering of believers. There's no churches. There are no resources. There's no radio stations that are proclaiming the gospel. People will spend their entire life among these peoples, and will never hear the name Jesus. Total unreached people group, 6,741. Total population is 3.14 billion. There are three plus billion people on the earth right now who have never heard the name Jesus. UPGs make up 42.2% of the population of the world. Next slide. Unevangelized people. These are greater than 2% evangelical Christian, but still great numbers of unsaved. Uh, total unevangelized people groups, 2,792. Total population, 764 million. And they make up 11% of the world population. Next Reach people, greater than 2% evangelical Christian or majority of Christian population. Total reach people group, 7,058. Total population, 3.5 billion. Total percentage of the world, the reach population makes up 42% of world population. Next. This is staggering to me. Um, what is the 1040 window? Countries in the 1040 window, or there's 50 of them roughly, uh, just gave you some examples, Afghanistan, China, Egypt, India, Japan, North Korea, Pakistan, Turkey, Vietnam, you can read them. That's these countries in the 1040 window. You can see the little the box around uh, the continents there. Next slide. 97% of the world's unreached people 
are located geographically in what some scholars call the 1040 window from West Africa across Asia between 10 degrees latitude north of the equator to 40 degrees north. Make sure you remember that. 97% of people who have never heard the name of Jesus exist in that window. Next slide. Total population, 1044.89 billion. Total people groups in 1048,213. Total UPGs in 1045,626 unreached people groups, totaling 3.05 billion people, 40% of all individuals. Next slide. 60% of unreached people groups live in countries closed to missionaries from North America. As one of the missionaries told me, these are places where you can go and start a church, but if you get caught, they kill you. Over 1,000 unreached people groups are not in the 1040 window. These total over 80 million individuals. Next. Christians number 2.2 billion worldwide. Full, that considers all Catholic, Protestants, any religion that claims Christ. Uh, within 6,876 total people groups, compromising 28.6% of the world population. Don't forget about that 97% in a minute. Keep going. Next slide. Evangelicals. Total, I'm getting old. That's a little harder for me to see. <laughs> Evangelical Christians total, uh, I'm going to reach over here, 550 million. Evangelicals have grown from only 3 million in A.D. 1500 to 550 million worldwide, with 54% being non-white. If you want a reason not to be a racist, one is because it's sinful and it's anti-gospel. The other one? You're outnumbered. <laughs> when you get to heaven, just leaving that there. That wasn't even that. I'm just. In ministries, there are 4.19 million full time Christian workers, of which 95% work among believers. You see how we've heard the Great Commission? It gets much worse. Next slide. There are 6,909 languages worldwide. Mandarin Chinese, 12.4. Spanish, 4.8. English, 4.3. These are the first language speakers. Next. 4,400 languages are without scripture portions available. 634, 634 million speakers. Translation projects are in progress in an estimated 1,600 languages that are currently without adequate scriptures. There are about 2,500 language, languages needing Bible translation to work, and they can't get people to do it. Next, 44, uh, next, uh, of the world's approximately 6,900 languages, 4,765 have at least one of the following, either Bible portions, the Jesus film, Christian radio, or gospel recordings. Total speakers of these languages is 6.2 billion, which represents only 95% of the world's population. 2,135 languages have none of these resources available with about 195 million speakers. Next. There are almost 1 million international students in the U.S. each year, including right here in East Texas, Kilgore College and other ones. There are international students. Lucas, you've been after me about this, and I should have listened more, Lucas. That's common in our elder group. 62% <laughs> of internationals are from the 1040 window countries, where 97% have never heard the name of Jesus. 
Total number of students from the 1040 window countries and staying in the U.S., 451,568. You can see the top 10 countries. Next slide. 80% of those students will have returned to their countries never being invited to an American home. What a lost opportunity. 40% of the world's 220 heads of states once studied in the U.S., and only 10% of international students are reached by ministries while they are in the United States. Next slide. Annual income of all church members. I just want FYI, we're not passing a plate. So this is not manipulation day. Um, we can be accused of a lot of things. That's never been one of them. Annual income of all church members, $42 trillion. Annual income of evangelical Christians is, is approximately $7 trillion. We gave to all Christian causes about $700 billion. Americans recently spent more buying Halloween costumes for their pets than the amount given to the unreached. It gets much worse. That's also how much we spend in America on Christmas. Next slide. Given to missions, $45 billion. That's only 6.4% of the money given to Christian causes of any kind. That's how much money we spend in America on dieting programs. Next slide. Pastoral ministries of local churches, mostly in Christian nations, $677 billion. I'm going to get a pay cut when this is over. <laughs> Home missions in same Christian nations, $20.3 billion. Going to unevangelized, non-Christian world, $2.1 billion. We spend $20 billion on missions in Christian nations. We spend $2 billion on those who have never heard the name. Money that goes toward unreached people's groups, $450 million. In 2001, only 1% of given emissions went to the unreached. If that trend holds true today, it would be $450, $450 million. The estimated $450 million going toward unreached people groups is only 0.001% of the $42 trillion income of Christians. For every $100,000 that Christians make, they give $1 to reach the unreached. Most of you bought coffee this morning that costs more than that. And you do every day. Next. Evangelical Christians could provide all the funds needed to plant a church in every, in every one of the 6,900 6, unreached people groups with only 0.03% of their income. The church is roughly 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed to finish the Great Commission. And if every evangelical gave 10% of their income to missions, we could easily support 2 million new missionaries. Next. Roughly 30 times as many missionaries go to the reached people groups to work with Christians as go to the unreached people groups. Far less go to the frontier groups where there are no believers that we are aware of. That's the last slide, isn't it? I believe. Nope. Full-time Christian workers in the world, 5.5 million. Workers in the reached world, 4.19 million. Christian workers in the unevangelized, 1.3 million. Christian workers in the unreached populations, 20,500. But we're serious about the Great Commission. And we've heard it our whole life. Next. Is that the last one? Okay, I thought so. Here's the data conclusion of John that he sent from someone else. If everyone is obeying God's calling to be a missionary wherever they are, then God is calling 99.9995% of people to work among the 44.3% of the world's population that has already heard the gospel. 
and yet Jesus must be calling virtually no one, 0.0005%, to relocate among the 55 plus percent that are not Christian. You have a better chance of being in a plane crash than being one of the few missionaries to the unreached out of the 2 billion Christians in the world. In light of God's word, this seems unfathomable and appears to be almost complete disobedience on the part of the church worldwide to go and make disciples of all nations. Financially, we are hoarding 99% of our income to ourselves. And what little is given is mostly directed toward people groups that have already been reached. The current status quo is to virtually do nothing to reach the unreached people groups. And the percentage of manpower and money focused on UPGs is almost so, is so small, it's almost undetectable. You have to go 0. .00000 to get to the percentages. I was at a conference where David Platt said this, there are two billion people whose knowledge of God is enough to damn them to hell forever. You say, well, I don't believe that. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are all, they are all without excuse. So they know enough to go to hell. Now, you might say, well, if they haven't heard Jesus' name, they don't, get, they don't go to hell. Some of us grew up with that theology. Let me just challenge that with a real basic thought process. If how we keep people from going to hell is to never tell them about Jesus, then let's close all churches and end all mission work. See, hell's real. We've lost that doctrine. And people die and go there. Because they know just enough to damn them to hell. And we're hoarding 99% of the money. Oswald J. Smith, a mission mobilizer, said this. We talk of the second coming when almost half of the world has never heard of the first. John Stott, author of Mission Mobilizer, said this. We must be global Christians with a global vision because we serve a God who is a global God. A.T. Pearson said this. He was an American Baptist pastor and Christian leader, missionary, and author. I had to go read about him. To stop or, this is just, this is rough. To stop or linger anywhere, even to repeat the rejected message so long as there are souls beyond that have never heard it, is at least unjust to those who are still in absolute darkness. Humbling, isn't it? Who's going out to eat? A recent line in a song by Jess Ray, I was introduced to her music through the Andrew Peterson Behold the Lamb of God Sure. There's a song entitled What We Have Found Ourselves In. It goes like this. Maybe in 100 years, one million laughs, one million tears, we will have a clearer view that this wasn't about me and you. See, this story was written long before and carries on after we're gone. The story that we have found ourselves in. What have we found ourselves in? As believers, we are part of a story that has very little to do with me and you. We find ourselves in a story that's much larger than us. This church, Sovereign Life Fellowship, was replanted with, I believe, purposes. 
And it is an unfolding story. It's unfolding now as we sit here. It is about our great God. And if the Lord has not returned, and long after you and I are dead and gone, I hope a hundred years from now, that what we do today for the gospel can still be bearing fruit in the lives of people around the world. If there's a legacy that we can leave, why not leave a legacy that the work that we have done carries on after we're being eaten by worms? Longview, Texas does not need another church. I have a buddy of mine who pastors in Houston. He visited me up, there, up here one day. We took a drive around the city of showing him some things, and he said, got to a red light on Hawkins. He was like, dude, I live in Houston, and you guys got more churches in this city than Houston does per capita. I said, I know. Here's what I desire to do. I want to be a part of something that is different. I believe this church has an opportunity. I saw a thing yesterday on Facebook. It was sent to me uh, on a way that we can grow our church uh, by creating the Disney vacation framework theology for the church. Some guy posted in the comment sections, if Disney vacation is anything other than a code word for preach Christ crucified, you are not building the church. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know who that guy is, but if he lives in Longview, I want him a member of our church. We have an opportunity as a church to proclaim Christ and see what Christ does when he builds his church. We can even influence other churches who have bought into the idea that the way we grow churches is entertainment-based. We could influence that. But more importantly, we could be a church that really is serious with missions, more than just sending money off. We can do this. Now, here's the, go here's the funny thing about this. I'm about to say something that's going to sound completely opposite of everything I just said. We need a significant amount of money to remodel this building. As a, as a pastor, how do I ask you to give? I mean, we, we got some of, we we're getting some of the early uh, estimates back. It's a little higher than we thought. <laughs> I think it's going to cost about sixty-five to seventy thousand to remodel this place. Now, how do, I, how do I ask you to give to that when we just did this? Here's the only way I believe we can do that and it'd be right. Is that if this church is a church that exists and teaches and trains people to preach the gospel to all the nations. Because we'll, we'll remodel once. We're going to give the missions from now on. But if we will be a church that is not just about remodeling so we can have a cool church, but if we can be a church that, hey, we need a place to plant as a church, we need, and we have kind of bounced around, and we've grown, we need a place that's more permanent, and I get it, and I think there's validity to that, and there is cultural things to that. It's hard to invite people to church when you meet in a hotel, amen? And you all have that problem? Where did you all church meet? We meet at the Hilton Garden Inn. Oh, you meet at the Hilton Garden I mean, it didn't work as well. We need, I, I'm getting the idea that we need a permanent place. We, we need to make it look different. We've already began some of the remodeling, and, and it's good, and it's important. But that's only important to us if we do something with it. And that is that we challenge people. I challenge every student in here. Maybe you've been called to go to a place that if you get caught, you get killed. Someone's got to go. Wouldn't it be great if this church raised up people that went? 
Or do we just want to build another building? I want to be about this. I want to be about the Great Commission. Yes, we have a calling here in Longview. Yes, I know they're lost. But listen, they have opportunity. There are billions who do not hear the name. And so I'm all about asking for 70 grand. You got it, folks. It's in this small room. Just shake your head. You know it's here. I'm asking you to give it. You know how many times I've asked money in four years from our church? About that many times. We need to do some stuff. But that only matters if we take what we do here and we raise up people to reach the nations. If you're not interested in reaching the nations, don't give a dollar to the church. I am. And I would ask you to join me in that storyline. Because I believe... Some, I look at some of you. Don't take this wrong. You won't be here in 20 years. What do you want to leave as a legacy? Some of us are really young. We may not be here in two days. But what do you want to leave as a legacy? We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. That 100 years from now, if the Lord tarries, there could be people here still being sent out for missions, of which, by the way, you will never get credit for. But you can start the legacy of faith. Man, the Lord has been so kind to this little bitty church. So kind. What are we going to do with it? We got two missionaries that we support. Jeremy and Tessa are anxious to get started. I'm not asking for any emotional plea, and we're not going to have Keith come up here. He's going to come up here and sing, and we're going to worship, but he's not going to come up here. I'm not going to stand down. One more to come down for mission. I'm not going to do that. But I would hope that Jeremy and Tessa can't get out the door today. Like, if they have somewhere to go, I hope you're late. <laughs> because I hope people come and say, hey, I'm in. And you know, Jeremy, they're new. they don't really know what to do. Some of you don't know what to do. Here's what I know. They want to go do something. Wouldn't it be great if they got surrounded by a bunch of other people who said, I don't know what to do either, but let's just figure it out. Maybe I'll just go get on a plane and see where it lands. I don't know. <laughs> but I want to be about this. And yes, we need money to remodel. We, we remodel one time. And we'll, I don't think we'll do it for decades probably or years, whatever God does. We're not going to come back next, next month and go, hey, we need another 80. <laughs> We're not going to do that. But we need several thousand dollars to fund our missions too. We can do both because we spent more on Christmas last year. That's humbling. Keith, come play. Let's worship. Let me pray for us. God, birth in us a heart for missions. God, I pray that you will, oh, Lord, that you will just whip me in the shape as a pastor to give me a global vision that sovereign life could be a part of. No more may missionaries feel alone in this battle and may I never approach missions and may I never leave this church to approach missions in a uh, in a way in which they just we toss a little money over there mm -hmm. but God may it be the heartbeat of our church and if you're looking for a church Lord if you're looking for a church who wants to take this mandate serious God I pray you would look upon us and if our hearts are not there, I pray, God, you'd move our hearts there. 
God, I pray you would call people out of this church to go to the hardest places in the world and lay down their lives for the gospel. And God, if you tarry, I pray that people will drive by this church a hundred years from now and that we will be known as a church that preaches the word and sends out missionaries. I pray that's what we'd be known as, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.